You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Wonderful. Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you, and it's my joy uh, to be leading off a fabulous series that we're going to be doing together for the next six weeks on the book of Galatians. And uh, yeah, that normally doesn't get a great response, but there we are. It is an amazing, amazing book. And the theme of our series for the next six months is this idea that, that Galatians speaks of freedom, but we believe it is a freedom worth fighting for. Uh, and this is an incredible idea for us. So that though we've been given freedom, we must be men and women who contend for that freedom, who fight for that freedom, who lean into that freedom. And so uh, Paul says to us in the book of Galatians, and this will be covered in the weeks to come, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So we've been set free, but we want to live free. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look at this theme through uh, six expressions of new things that I believe Galatians teaches us. We're going to look this morning at a new way. Next week, we'll look at new focus. On week three, we'll look at a new family. Week four, a new obedience. Week five, a new power. And week six, a new law, the law of Jesus, which is a transformational idea for each one of us. So hope you will enjoy this, whether you're going to be here in person or you can catch up with it on podcast or online. I really, really encourage you to lean into this amazing book. And there are two things we hope to achieve in the next six weeks together. Number one, introduce an amazing book to you. Galatians is a stunning book that every follower of Jesus really needs to take seriously and needs to understand. And sometimes when we hear Paul's arguments, they confuse us a little bit and we back off and we don't lean in. And that's a mistake when it comes to Galatians. It's right at the engine room of Paul's theology, which is really important for us as followers of Jesus. But I also hope, and we also hope, that there will be a, a sense of entering into, appreciating the freedom we have and entering into that. There's two things we hope you're going to grasp about this amazing freedom that we have in Jesus. That Number one, it's positional. It's something you receive. You've received a freedom in Jesus. You didn't earn that freedom. You didn't work for that freedom. That freedom was just given to you. That's an amazing idea that a follower of Jesus has positional freedom. And when we really understand that, it transforms worship. It transforms our lives because it's not anything to, be, to do about what we're experiencing at that moment. It's to do with what we know at that moment. And there's some stuff we experience and some stuff we feel and then there's some stuff we know. And we know we're free even when the circumstances around us would try to tell us we are not. But, but we want to move beyond that positional freedom into practical freedom and understanding that there are ways in which this freedom expresses itself every single day of our life. So hopefully this will bless you. Hopefully it will encourage you. If you've never read the book of Galatians before, I would encourage you to try and do that between now and next week. It's only six chapters, so you could read one chapter a day, tag that in. Your, your day in some way. If you've read, like me, the book of Galatians a million times or so, then I want to encourage you to come with fresh eyes. 
and be open to hear what the Lord has to say. Does that make sense to you? All right, then we're going to dive straight in, and I'm going to take a reading from Galatians chapter 1. So we'll start at the beginning. And even though what I'm going to share this morning will sort of cover uh, most of the first two chapters, uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 1 will help us as we go. So if you've got a Bible with you, I hope you have a Bible, please bring your Bible to church. It's really important. Bring your Bible, engage with the text. It's so, so important. Millions of Christians would love the Bible you've left at home. So let me encourage you, open up the Bible, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Pretty strong stuff. And I now trying to, uh, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That sort of sets the tone uh, for where we are going with this series. In the 80s, the 1980s, I remember this well, there was a, a man called Terry Waite, and Terry Waite was an emissary who operated on behalf of the Church of England. He was a personal emissary of the then Archbishop of Canterbury, Robert Runsey. And at that time, there were a lot of uh, activity in the Middle East where um, certain groups were, were kidnapping and holding as hostage people essentially from Western nations. And a number of British citizens had been captured and were being held hostage. Terry Waite, in seeking to represent not only the, the government but the church, went out in trying to negotiate their release. But when he went out in the 80s, he himself became a hostage. And in fact, he was held in solitary confinement almost entirely for, for the whole period of his his uh, incarceration. Um, uh, for about four years, he, he was uh, incarcerated in 1987 and released on the 18th of November, 1991. Some of us in the room will remember that really, really well. And, and he became a bit of a, a celebrity, a very shy man, but he, he was sort of launched into the public limelight and his life changed forever. And I remember uh, shortly after that, hearing an interview that he was conducting, he was talking to Radio 4 and he was saying that, you know, after getting released, he was trying to get back into his world and into his life. And he remembers sitting down, having dinner with his family, something that he did many, many times before he was incarcerated and captured. Uh, and he 
said, I, I remember sitting there and I had to literally learn how to do dinner again. I'd had life on my own for four years and I had to learn how to sit at a dinner table again. I had to learn how to hold my knife and fork again. I had to learn how to eat and hold conversation because I hadn't had a conversation with a human for four years. Amazing, amazing thing. And he said this phrase that really caught me and it sort of sums up the challenge of the book of Galatians. He said this, I knew I was free, but I had to learn to live free. Really powerful thought, it grabbed me. He said, I knew I was free, but I had to learn to live free. This is exactly the scenario that these lovely Galatian Christians are facing. Paul brought the gospel to them. The gospel, so simple, so powerful, that through faith in Jesus Christ alone, they would be justified. Amazing idea that actually all they needed to do was to believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, place Jesus at the center of their world, and they would be completely justified, made new, made as if they had never sinned, completely, absolutely forgiven. And all of that was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. An amazing message that the Galatians embraced with enthusiasm. And this idea that through faith in Jesus alone, you are justified, you are forgiven, and you are now a child of God. Amazing, amazing idea. But as they were journeying for Jesus, a group of followers of Jesus from a Jewish background sort of came into their world and they started preaching a sort of a different gospel. And they were teaching this, that actually, well, it's not really faith in Jesus alone that's going to save you. You've sort of got to come to Jesus through Moses. And so they said to these believers, actually, you need to sort of embrace the law of Moses first. And then if you embrace the law of Moses, then you can really get Jesus fully. And so they were encouraging these Gentile believers to take on things like circumcision and to take on the marks of the law, the stuff that they had been raised with as Jewish believers. And so, and so they, they come and they say, really, the gospel teaches if you want to get to Jesus, you've got to go through Moses. And Paul went bananas, essentially. Paul's going crazy. Now, here's what you've got to remember about Paul. Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was someone schooled in the law of Moses. He probably could recite the Torah off by heart. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He could probably recite that off by heart. That would have been part of his training. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This man, when it came to the law of Moses, declared himself to be legally perfect. Wow. Incredible. But Paul's going bananas. Why? Because Paul realized, even though he was committed to all that law stuff, even though he was committed to Moses, he came to the realization that the law doesn't have the power to save a person. That actually, it's only through Jesus Christ. So when this group come along, who ironically are followers of Jesus, but they're coming now with a gospel that says, to get to Jesus, you've got to go through Moses. Paul is having none of it. And when you read the book of Galatians, you'll see Paul really quite aggressive. He really does go for this. And some of his language is very, very interesting. He doesn't want to ignore Moses. He appreciates 
He appreciates we've come out of Moses, but he wants to take the believers, if you like, to the law of Jesus, to the Torah of Jesus, because that's what's going to set them free. And so Paul is literally, in the letter of Galatians, fighting for their freedom. He's contending, and he does so aggressively, and he does so passionately, because he doesn't want them slipping into, in his language, another gospel or going another way. Why? Because if they do that, they will move from freedom to slavery again. And he wants to make sure they stay free, because the thing that they're being encouraged to go back to won't lead them to freedom, it will lead them to slavery. Now, why is this important to us, John? You're talking about circumcision and first century stuff and Jewish stuff. Like, what's this got to do with me? Well, because at the heart of our faith and journey is this constant tension. The tension between what Jesus has done and what I do. And one of the things we've got to be really careful of at a personal level, is that we don't slip into a works mentality which teaches, if I do, I am more justified. I am better. I have more. I'm somehow on, in God's good books because of the stuff I do. Now, listen to me very, very carefully. The stuff we do is really important. And we'll talk about the stuff we need to do as followers of Jesus. But the stuff you do comes out of the fact that you are justified. The stuff you do doesn't justify you. Are you with me? There is nothing you and I can do that scores us more brownie points with God. Are you with me? So if I got up this morning at five o'clock and prayed for three hours sort of thing, uh, that doesn't make me more justified. It's good to pray. Brilliant. So pray, but it doesn't make me more justified. It doesn't make me more saved. It doesn't make me more free. Come on. If I read my Bible for four hours today, it does not make me more justified. Good to read the Bible. We should read the Bible. I encourage you to read the Bible. So, so we've got to understand that there's something dangerously subtle in every single human, every single broken human gravitates away from what he has done, because that feels too simple and easy, to what I need to do. Okay? And, and I've seen this... Over and over again in my own journey as a Pentecostal, where Christians drift back into a doingness that makes them feel more justified and more loved than they already are. Now, that's probably not you. It's probably everybody else that has fallen into that. But it is a very subtle thing. And it's a very subtle thing that broken humans gravitate to. We like the idea of being able to justify ourselves. We like the idea of being able to do something to say, look what I have done. I, ha I have this. I am here. I am this person. I have this status because of what I have done. That's a very broken human idea. When it comes to our freedom in Christ, none of that is relevant. So I'm going to say something, and if you mishear me, I'll get hung, drawn, and quartered, right? So hear me properly. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying. If you got up this morning and didn't pray and have had the worst morning of your life, 
getting to this church today, you are still as justified in Christ Jesus as if you'd got up at four and prayed for four hours and read your Bible. Now, the reason you're quiet is because you go, I can't be right. <laughs> that can't be right. No, it is right. That's the problem. It is right. It messes with our brain because humans say, I need to do something to be justified. No, no. Paul's saying, no, no. Jesus did the something. You are justified. So when these circumcision believers come along, say, no, 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 no. You can't just accept Jesus. No, no. No, no. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to do something. You've got to get circumcised. If you don't know what that is, talk to AJ afterwards. He'll explain all that to you. Right? You've got to get circumcised. No, you, you, you've got to keep the law. You've got, to, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. And if you do all of that, then you'll get Jesus. No, no. Don't pause it. No, no, no. You've already got Jesus. You've already been justified. You're already made whole. You're already forgiven. And going back to do all of that stuff is literally, is literally trying to pay for something that's already been paid for. It's already been done. That's why Paul's going after that. So that's why it's important to you, because even you and me, 21st century believers, who, who don't sometimes engage with all of this stuff that's going on in the first century, we slip into that stuff. You hear me? The second reason this is important is because broken religion... Whatever the label, broken religion exploits this idea. Broken religion, religion that lacks freedom will say to people, do this, give this, try this, be this, and then you will have. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is a fundamentally manipulative, controlling, and slavery-driven idea. Because what's it doing? It's putting all the emphasis on you. And actually, as we've been singing this morning, all the emphasis is on him. He's paid for all of this. He's done, for, he's done all this for us. So, so what broken religion in its worst form says, puts all the pressure on the human, and it says to the human, if you could just do this, if you could just be this, if you could just give a little bit more money, if you could just climb up a hell on your, lay, on your knees and, and pray, to, then, then you will be. And Paul's saying, that's not going to work. Because our freedom doesn't come from what we do. Our freedom comes from what he did. Come on, come on. Now, now, out of that freedom, there may be a whole bunch of things I do. So out of that freedom, I want to give to the poor. Out of that freedom, I want to be generous. Out of that freedom, I want to pray. Out of that freedom, I want to read the Bible. Out of that freedom, I want to be part of a community. But I mustn't confuse which direction that's moving. Those things, as good as they are, are not giving me freedom. They're a sign I'm free. And if I even, now please don't hear, hear what I'm not saying. Even if I didn't do those things, amazingly, I'm still free. Wow, that's a mind bender. And that's Paul's problem. Paul's problem is he's trying to convince people of a gospel that literally is frazzling their brain because it's going against everything that most people have been taught or intuitively feel. 
somehow I've got to do something to get something. And Paul says, no, no, all you have to do is believe in him. He has done it all. Wow. You with me? Now, that's at the heart of the book of Galatians. That's the big argument that's going on. And that's why this argument that happens in the first century is relevant to us in the 21st century because it keeps coming back in one way or another. So how does Paul try to help us with this argument? Three big ideas that will hopefully set up the series for us a little bit and, uh, and, and set me up for next week as well. Paul teaches us three big ideas in, in this introduction. First of all, he says this, this new way I'm describing, and for many people it was a brand new way, this new way, he says, is from Jesus. Okay, now look at his language. We've read it, uh, 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 touched on it in, in the introduction, but in verses 12 to 13 of chapter 1, it says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Listen, here's the killer blow. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus. Now, Paul's doing two things that are really important in this letter. At a personal level on the letter, he's setting up his own authority. He's saying, the reason I'm so passionate about this gospel is because it's not mine. I didn't invent this. This has come from Jesus. Jesus is the author of this amazing plan. So Paul's setting up an authority there. But the second thing he's really wanting to establish is that this is not a human idea. This is a God idea. And God wants us to lean into his idea. Paul is saying to us, Jesus has fulfilled all of that Old Testament stuff, all that law, and he is now bringing us into something brand new in Christ. And, and if you read the letter carefully, first couple of chapters, he essentially explains this fact that, that even though he connected with the apostles, the leaders of the church at that time, that they didn't in any way help or contribute into this idea. But they did endorse it. Listen to his words in chapter 2. He says, as for those who were held in high esteem, that's the apostles, he says, whatever they were makes no difference to me because God shows no favoritism, a little jibe there from Paul into that. And then he says this, they added nothing to my message. But then he goes on to say this, James, Kephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Now here's what Paul's saying, if you read that in Galatians. He's saying, that I've received this gospel, this idea that we're fighting for has come from Jesus. It's not a human idea. And he then says, the apostles have actually backed that up. They haven't made any contribution to it, but they've given us the right hand of fellowship, and they've sent us on our way, and they've said to us, we affirm this message, that you can go and preach this message. And that is so, so important. Now, why is that important when you read the letter to Galatians. Well, number one, it explains why Paul's language is so aggressive. Paul uses some really edgy language in his letter. We've touched on some of that already. He talks about this fact that the circumcision group are bringing a different gospel. In fact, he says, it's no gospel at all. It's not good news at all. He describes this as a perversion of the gospel of Jesus 
in verse 7. And then he says, anyone who brings a gospel other than it's faith in Jesus that justifies, they are eternally condemned by God. And he says that twice. That's pretty edgy. And later on, after he explains, he had an argument with Peter. Now, Peter, Peter was from a Jewish background, and Peter struggled a little bit with some of this stuff. But then he had an amazing experience with a man called Cornelius, and God opened his heart to the Gentile church. And so Peter was cool with the idea of, of Gentiles receiving Jesus without receiving Moses. So he had got all of that. But this group, this powerful group, came and so influenced Peter that Peter backed off. And Paul described this backing off as hypocrisy. And Paul says, because of that, me and Peter had a bit of a knockdown, drag-out fight. And Peter and Paul literally got in each other's faces. Well, probably Paul got in Peter's face, actually. And, and really criticized and challenged Peter because Peter was backing away from a gospel of freedom. Now, if that can happen to Peter, then it could happen to these Galatian believers. And Paul's language, one of his most colorful statements in the whole of his writings, if you look at all of Paul's writings, this stands up there, chapter 5, verse 12. He says, as for those agitators, now that's the people preaching this perverted gospel, as for the agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Is that in the Bible, John? Yeah, it really is. It's really there. That is there. Now, now when you realize that Paul believes this gospel is from Jesus, you understand this passion. This is not just Paul being a theologian arguing with other theologians. This is Paul believing, no, no, no. What I've got here is from Jesus. I didn't learn this. This wasn't uh, given to me by a man. We haven't invented this. This has come through Jesus Christ, and therefore we must fight for it. We must defend it because Paul is teaching us this. Paul is fighting for this freedom because it is a Jesus idea. This freedom isn't a human idea invented. It's a Jesus idea. And any movement away from a Jesus-centered understanding of this new way will only and quickly become an old way. The minute we move away from Jesus at the center, Jesus only, faith in Jesus alone as the means of our justification, we are slipping into an old way. And we are moving back to slavery. Okay? Now, for the first century believers, that was very stark. It was a sort of a Gentile Jewish argument. But for us, it's more subtle. And we must be careful that we don't move away from a Jesus-centered justification by faith alone in Him. into something else. Because the minute we move away from justification by faith in Jesus alone, we're moving back into slavery. Are you with me? Such an important idea. Here's the second thing that Paul says. He says this new way is in Jesus, okay? The new way is not just from him, but it's a new way in Jesus. Look at his beautiful statement in chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ 
and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, if, you, if you've listened to me or read that followed with me, you'll realize that Paul's repeated himself about three times. And you'll notice that there is a symmetry in the comparison. He talks about not being justified by the works of the law three times. And he talks about being justified by faith in Jesus three times. And Paul repeats the same argument over and over again. Why? Because he wants them to get it. You cannot be justified by the law. You can only be justified by walking in and accepting Jesus. Now, why is this an important idea? Because, number one, Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's the only person who has perfectly fulfilled the law. In fact, he says in Matthew, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. So Jesus fulfills all these what seem to be impossible requirements of the law. And he fulfills them so that then he can become the great high priest of every believer and he can become the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. Two ideas that sort of sit together and are sort of, sort of different images. He's the high priest who brings us into his presence and he's the Lamb who paid for the sins of the world. Jesus is able to do that because he fulfilled the law. Humans have never been able to keep the law, but Jesus kept the law. Secondly, Jesus satisfied the requirements of the law fully. Here's what Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for sin. For it is written, cursed is everyone hung on a tree or a stake. Now, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that Christ has redeemed us from this curse by coming under the law and fulfilling that law and carrying out all the requirements of that law. Now, stay with me. I know this sounds like a lecture, but this is so, so important for us to, to understand. And then the third thing, Jesus has annulled the law. Now, in this respect, he's annulled the law of Moses in that he's set up once and for all, the law cannot save. Keeping the law will not save us. In fact, he goes on to say this, and, and we'll probably deal with this later on. He says this, mark my words, chapter 5, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will, know, will be of no value to you at all. So in other words, he's saying, if you take the mark of circumcision, you're accepting the law as a means of saving you. The minute you do that, then Jesus is of no value to you because, because you're saying Jesus is not enough. Are you with me? Okay. And then he goes on to say this, and again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's then obligated to obey the whole law. So he's saying, once you accept one bit of the law, you've got to keep the whole thing. You can't just do one bit. You've got to keep it all, which we've already established is impossible. And then he says this, you are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. Listen, you have fallen away from grace. Now that phrase has been used wrongly in different arguments. Here's what Paul is saying. If, if I'm in Jesus, but then I go back to a mentality that says I earn my justification, what I've done is I've stepped away from grace. 
I've stepped away from his goodness, his generosity. And I'm saying that that is not enough. And that is deeply dangerous for us. So we, we have to contend against that. We have to fight against that. And we've got to keep leaning into the idea by faith that Jesus has justified us. And there's nothing that I can do that adds to that justification. Nothing. The just shall live by faith alone. So powerful. A revelation that changed Martin Luther, completely transformed his life. A man who was steeped in working for his salvation, and he ends up getting a revelation that it's faith alone in Jesus that brings this freedom. So Paul is saying this. He's saying that actually this new way is in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus has uh, completed the requirements of the law. And Jesus, by his death on the cross, has annulled the law's power to save you because it couldn't save you in the first place. So he's become the one now who the law is completely fulfilled in and wrapped up in, and he's the one we look to. So we don't need to go back to the law that he fulfilled because he's done it. We don't need to go back to the law for salvation because he's filled it. He's fulfilled it. He is salvation. He's saying, don't go back to that. Stay where you are in Jesus because it's faith in Jesus alone that will justify us. Powerful. And when we really understand that, that's a, that's a grace-filled life transformational idea. Let that I am going, let's use the language for example, I'm going to heaven not because of anything I have done. That I am clean today, forgiven, not because of anything I've done. That I am a child of God, not because of anything I've done, but because of what He has done. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's the big idea that Paul wants us to get. Paul is fighting for this freedom because it's a Jesus idea. And let me remind you of this thought. Any movement away from a Jesus-centered understanding of this new way will quickly become the old way. Anything that moves away from a Jesus-centered understanding that in Him alone by faith I am justified leads us to slavery. That's why you've got to fight for it. That's why we've got to contend for it. That's why we've got to recognize it because it's in us all. And actually, when we go back to a justification by our own behavior, we are moving away from grace. And we're moving into self. And that's the greatest problem humans have. They're constantly trying to move back to self. And Jesus wants to move us into grace. Does that make sense for you? Okay. Mark, do you want to come with the band? And as I just land this, Paul says, this new way is from Jesus. He says, secondly, this new way is in Jesus. And thirdly, he teaches us that this new way is for Jesus. Listen to this language. Chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Wow. We say amen, we nod. 
What's that mean? Well, he explains. He says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what it means. Crucified in Christ Jesus means I'm no longer at the center. I'm no longer king. I'm no longer boss. But it's Christ that lives in me. He goes on to say this. The life I now live in the body, right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was radically transformed by his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Before that encounter, he was a zealot for the law, persecuting the church. He had the blood of men and women who were followers of the way on his hands. He literally, directly and indirectly was involved in the execution of followers of the way. He was a zealot for the law of Moses. And then he met Jesus and he encountered Jesus face to face and his life was transformed. And he becomes not a zealot for the law of Moses, but now he becomes a zealot for the Torah of Jesus. He becomes this, this animal for Jesus. Because he's realized that actually all that effort, all that work, everything I'd poured my life into, none of it was saving me. It was all good. It was lovely. It was nice. It was better than not doing it. But none of it was saving me. But encountering Jesus Christ, Paul enters into a freedom he has never experienced before. And it transforms him. Later on, he writes to another church in Philippi. And he writes these words, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wow. He adds this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own. Come on now. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul says that actually on that road to Damascus, I learned something, that all that stuff I thought was important that was saving me in comparison to Jesus is like rubbish. In fact, the word he uses is very, very strong. We could literally translate it excrement. It's like rubbish. Now, it wasn't rubbish. It was good stuff. But Paul realized on the road to Damascus, all that good stuff wasn't enough. All that hard work, all that commitment to the law wasn't actually bringing him to complete salvation. It was this encounter with Jesus that brought him to freedom. And Paul says, in encountering him, I've received something, an amazing thing. I've received the righteousness of God. And Paul is saying, I'm not righteous because I'm good. I'm righteous because he has paid the price for me. And I stand in that righteousness. I stand in that freedom.
Therefore, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, having now received this life, received this righteousness, I want to live a righteous life. I want to live a good life. I want to honor this righteousness that I've received by living a good life before God. But his good life, his righteous life that he's living is not the means to his salvation. It's the expression of his salvation. He's not doing it to be justified. He's doing it because he is justified. And if you can get that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is a game changer. And I have met many, many people from many different cultures from all over the world, from maybe different religions and different persuasions that struggle with this idea. But I've also met many beautiful followers of Jesus still in slavery, still trying to earn when it's already being paid for. It's already been done. And if we by faith can believe that what he has done is enough, then it turns my actions of earning righteousness into actions of expressing righteousness. They look the same, but they're completely different. One is an righteousness of slavery and the other is a righteousness of freedom wow. and Paul says this is worth fighting for this is worth contending for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free stand firm then so that you're not entangled again in the yoke of slavery. Will you stand with me? My time has gone. That session's probably felt a bit heavy, has it? You're probably ready for a lie down and it's only a quarter to 11. <laughs> I get that, but, but this is so important. It's worth slowing down for. It's easy to criticize other religions and other faiths for their works mentality. And if we are not careful, we are imbibing the same slavery mentality. If I could just do this, I would. If I could just, I would. But Paul says, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone and therefore our righteousness our works our actions our keeping of the law is the expression of that righteousness not the attempt to attain it and just before we sing I want to pray for you because this revelation a revelation that Paul received, a revelation that Paul fought for, a revelation that Paul lost friends over, a revelation that put at times Paul on the fringe of the community that he loved. This revelation has the power to revolutionize our hearts. That just as we stand in the presence of the Lord, just close your eyes and I'm going to pray for you.
We've been singing magnificent Jesus-centric songs this morning. And the reason we sing Jesus-centric songs is because Jesus is at the center of our freedom, our justification, and the righteousness that we have. Your freedom is in Jesus. Your justification is by Jesus. And your righteousness is from Jesus. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you will lead us to a fresh revelation of the power of this gospel. Forgive us for allowing it to be perverted by our own insecurities or our own sense of ego and self-importance. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for the ways that we've turned this gospel of grace into a gospel of activity and works, more about us than about you. But Lord Jesus, I pray that for each person in this room, there will be a fresh revelation that we are free because of you. We are justified because of you. We are made righteous. And in fact, the righteousness that we have is not even ours. It's yours, and it's all because of you. And help us, Lord, that that revelation would become a core driver, just as it was for Paul, it would be for us. And Lord, out of that freedom, we would live righteous lives. Out of that freedom, we would live as those who have been justified. Out of that freedom, we would do works that bring glory and honor to the Lord. Because it is for freedom that you have set us free. Help us, Lord, to stand firm in that freedom and not return again to the yoke of slavery. In Jesus' name.